This is a Need 10 Media production. Hello, it's Nick Kleberg, and welcome aboard for this episode of That's a Job podcast. And on this show, we talk with professionals about jobs that many of us may not have known existed and some jobs that, well, we're not familiar with or we are familiar with, but we get to learn on how those people got to that line of work, how they got in those jobs, the pathways to get there. But in this episode, you get to meet Mark Reifenrath. Uh, along his career adventure, he and some college buddies started an internet company in their apartment and have built that company into a national digital agency. And they aren't afraid to keep growing with what they do and getting better at it. Mark, welcome to That's a Job. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Well, let's let's dive in before you step foot on campus at the University of Northern Iowa. Coming out of high school, age of 18, where did you think you would be? Where where was the where the pathway you thought you'd be following when you planned to graduate from University of Northern Iowa? So I was originally a MIS major, so basically a developer. I thought I would go to a big city. My brother moved to Chicago right out of college. So I was thinking Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Kansas City, something like that. That some a big city in the Midwest was probably my thoughts. Probably the first four to six weeks on campus, just talking with people, a few other people in my life, I realized very quickly that MIS was not suitable for me and my personality. <laughs> and so marketing seemed really fun. Met some great professors, uh, Dr. Corbin, Steve Corbin at, at UNI, and had a class with him my freshman year that was, so there was a lot of influences towards marketing and just kind of fell in love with that whole idea of being creative and uh, to me, that was a, a fun thing. And so it was more more passion driven than, you know, this is a job. That's maybe the start of that that thinking passionately about what you would do as opposed to just a job. So you switch up from management info systems to marketing and things just evolve as you're on campus and, and you get this idea with with uh, uh, your college buddies and, and now business partners to do something. You know, let's let's make let's make some money. <laughs> well, the, actually, the, so it was my junior year of college, so roughly two thousand, yeah, two thousand. You know, and and professors are saying, how many of you have jobs? And you got the dot com bubble completely bursting, and not a lot of us were raising our hands with jobs that we knew of before graduation. And so it was really intended to be a resume builder. So we, we you know, one of the things I learned in college in my marketing class was differentiate yourself. And so I, I self-labeled myself on my resume as an interactive marketer. That was, we would say digital today, but back then it was, there was a lot of interactive uh, was kind of a term. And so I did that and, and we really just wanted to start building some websites to be more impressive in the job you know, pool. We got, I'll say lucky, hard work, whatever you want to say all at once, little, little scrappiness, a lot of grit. And we, we won some local businesses over. Uh, one of them was the local hospital in Cedar Falls, Waterloo area. Covenant at the time, or uh, it's it's now part of the Mercy system. But you know, we won that before we should have. Uh, you know, fake it before you make it mentality. Um, <laughs> but we joined the chamber. Uh, that was a big piece of our early success. We joined the the Cedar Falls Chamber of Commerce. We didn't even know what a chamber was. I ran track at UNI for a couple of years, and and one of the coaches' wives was working at the chamber, 
And we just literally walked in there kind of on accident. And she came up and was like, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, what is this place? And we were looking at all the brochures <laughs> and we ended up joining, going to a lunch and learn, met some people. And that's how we got a couple of clients. And we were good at networking at a lot of the, the happy hours, given our, our age. Did you guys know anything about websites, you know, and, and what you need to do? Or was that kind of the fake it to make it and you got it and you're like, oh, I guess <laughs> we, we better learn how to do this. We probably didn't realize how little we knew at the time, but what we did know, we represented very well, I would say. So, you know, that growth from a development perspective, both how to run a business, how to present yourself, uh, doing what we did, those first couple of years was pretty rapid. I mean, it was an obsession for all of us, I think, of just learning and growing and and wanting to succeed so, so bad. I don't know for you, but for me, when I was in fifth, sixth grade, back in the day before you had club sports thinking that excitement you had when you were going to be able to put on those football pads in seventh grade and actually play football or actually play organized basketball that was the kind of excitement i had for the job at that point of wanting just couldn't wait to succeed wanted to do anything and everything we could to just make it a legitimate business and all of us kind of had other jobs in the early days to just pay our bills um, i got married no one so that was another responsibility as, as part of that but it was a lot of hard work and, and grit and hustle we didn't take outside funding. Uh, there weren't incubators back then when we started. So it was a different game uh, when we started. Yeah. I, you know, you really had to change your college life, right? It wasn't, <laughs> uh, it wasn't Friday, Saturday nights on the Hill. It was probably uh, trying to figure out websites. And all of a sudden that was the excitement you talk about. It wasn't going out necessarily living the college life. You were fast forwarding to discovering something that was giving you excitement in other ways. I would say we got ejected from that college life into adulting very quickly. <laughs> and so, you know, there, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of life changes occurring those first couple of years. And, and that's an important stage for anybody. I always say to fresh grads, you know, those first year or two, those first couple of years in the workforce for you, you're setting the tone for the rest of your career of what type of worker you're going to be, what kind of team member you're going to be. And you know, you might have been a great classmate, a great teammate on a, on a sports field or, or in band or whatever. You've got to translate that to the real world now and, and kind of find that passion, translate that passion you had for something else in your past. All of us had one. There was at least one. How do you transfer that into the work so that you do have fun and you enjoy it? Because you're going to be doing it for a long time. You're going to spend a bunch of time there. And it's so important to find that passion. So uh, it, it's a uh, I, we did it in our own way, unknowingly, but that's the advice I would share with, you know, a, a younger audience of saying, here's, think hard about that. What do you want out of that? What do you want your day to look like? Well, you, you got through, you got your degree and the business just kind of went. So the company's called Spin You Tech. You know, you graduate, you're, you're, uh, I guess, let's say officially uh, an adult or into the real world, even though you were already in it. How, talk through how it scaled, you know, from just mm -hmm. a few of you to to how it's evolved since 2001 and yeah. where we're at today. It's probably, you, know, you think back, you say, oh, one, I'm sitting here thinking, geez, that's 20 some years, you know, yeah. just thinking back how far it's come. And, you know, even since I first met you, how things have, have really grown with that company and, yes. and even affiliates you're, you're, you're uh, connected with. So April 17th, 2000 was like the inception. That was, that was my wife's 21st birthday, girlfriend at the time. And, you know, the three, three original, you know, partners, we had this dream. And then I don't know that we hired our first true team member until about a year and a half in roughly. Um, and, and they're still with us, actually. Eric Bonser is still on the team. 
so we, I would say slow growth, you know, we were maybe 2005, we had maybe five or six people, 2008, maybe 10 to 12 people, 2010, maybe 18, 19 people. Today we're 165. And so every step of the way, you know, there's different kind of growth spurts and stages and different ones have their problems or their challenges. And so, you know, we started as entrepreneurs, I would say, and we've transitioned into, you know, owning a business, building a business, and we're getting closer to the point where the business is a heck of a lot uh, reliant on myself, which is a great spot to be in. That's, you know, a lot of business owners have egos, and they want it to be about them, but a business should be able to last without you. And so we've done a really good job over the time of just hiring really smart individuals. And we've gotten better at that as well. But you know, 25 to 50 people had its own challenges because you just you don't know everybody as well. 50 to 75, you've got to start to put in new layers of management and processes and procedures that you just used to all kind of know what to do. But now there's a couple of new people that don't know that. And who do they go to? to so you've got layers of management. 75 to 100, another set of you know challenges that you got to and then you get to 150. And so you know, building a a structure that's scalable, that works for everybody. And then I would say we've done a decent job or a really good job actually of staying agile and not afraid to change. Um, one of the things I say in onboarding with every new team member is, I don't want you to ever hear that's the way we've always done it. When they ask a question, that's a terrible answer. And you know, it's broken, whatever the, the question they asked, right. if it's that's the way it's we've always done it, you know, it's a broken process or a, a approach. What, what was your role early on? When it all began, what was what was the work you were doing? What was your role in it? Well, day one, you know, it was sales. It was design and a little little bit of HTML development. Slowly moved more into really just sales and, and trying to, you know, maintain relationships, build new relationships. I did QuickBooks in the beginning. Um, so really a little bit of everything in the beginning. But over time, we kind of all started to find our lanes uh, more appropriately Corey, great developer, super sharp individual, really started to own that, build that team. Adam was taking care of hosting and, and client support, kind of a PM and a project manager, as well as support. Um, and then me on the front side from a sales perspective. And, and then just over time, you evolve your roles with growth and as teams get built out. So I guess how hard was that? You know, you, you have, you're probably till, still to an extent still involved in some sales, but, you know, Handing off those clients or relationships that you built or existed to somebody else and hopes that they're still going to get taken care of as good, if not better than what you had. How hard is that for, for someone in a role like that or even, you know, your partners that had to give the reins to, to other team members as they were trying to now be in more management leadership roles? Yeah, it's hard. I, I think... What you have to, there, there's two sides to it. There's some things that nobody's ever going to do as good as you, but there's a lot of things that somebody's going to do way better than you did. And, and so I think over the years, finding the things that you can delegate. So clearly I shouldn't have been doing QuickBooks and, and all of our <laughs> financial stuff. So when we hired our first office manager, you know, letting go of that, you know, they always say, oh, entrepreneurs, the biggest thing they've got to do is delegate. And I thought, oh, I can check that box. I delegated the the financials to this individual and she's in a great spot with it. She did great. And I, I've, I've done that, you know, move on. Little did I know that was just the first of hundreds of things I needed to start to delegate. And what she realized over time is those get harder and harder to do. 
and you tend to hold on to things that you really like and enjoy doing. And so, yeah, you, literally before this recording, I was on a, a sales call. Um, I don't do nearly as many of those uh, as I used to, but I that does fire me up. I love convincing somebody and not even convincing, I would say telling our story so that they are understanding what an amazing team they're going to get access to by partnering with us. That's that's really fun to do. And then growing those relationships and and I would say partnerships. We've always valued partnerships. So those are the things I tend to gravitate towards. I also really over time have enjoyed being a leader and challenging the team. I have a very much a coach mentality. So one of our core values is we get better every day and challenge the team to make themselves better for you know, not just them as an individual, the team they work on, as well as their clients. And that's a win for everybody. And so just pushing people to be, you know, what's the best version of Nate? How, how, do, how can I help you become that best version of yourself? Uh, and, and sometimes people don't realize maybe the potential that they even have. And we've it's been fun watching some of those straight out of college individuals that we've brought on board and they've been surrounded with amazing teammates and you just watch that trajectory of growth. And I always tell them like, you know, Hey, you've got a ton of upside still don't stop. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And sometimes it just takes that person encouraging them to unleash their, their talent that you can see that may, maybe they don't. Well, if you've been able to do that with my friend Luke Baldwin, that's a <laughs> monumental effort. You know, uh, that one, that's a case team. study, right? That's, that's a, <laughs> that was a real challenge. So yeah, a lot of monitoring. So when you look at the, what'd you say, 156 or 100, what was the number you have 165 now? right now. Yep. And you've got them, what, in Colorado, Florida, Iowa, uh, so, just beyond and remote? Yeah, we, we've got about 50 people that are truly remote. I mean, we're all kind of remote now. We, we technically have five offices, but it's a very, uh, an extreme hybrid. I would say maybe on any given day, 20-ish people are coming into an office. So we're pretty much all working like this at home. Um, which is fine, you know, manage the person to their role, not their location. But I think that's been awesome from a talent perspective to be able to get people from anywhere and everywhere. So you, we're in like 28 states uh, from an employment perspective, which is a bit of a nightmare logistically and sure. all the laws and uh, unemployment taxes and all that stuff you got to pay. But um, the access to great talent has been well worth any pain that that has, has provided. Yeah, because I can think back to, it's probably been six, seven, eight years ago when we visited when I was doing economic development work. And that was your struggle, right? Trying to find talent and opening up an office in Des Moines, Iowa, and then looking into Colorado and all these places where people were. Yep. And then 2020 happens and it was almost a positive thing, would you say, for your business? Just proving what yeah. you just talked about when it comes to hybrid or remote? hundred percent. I think the the mental shift that we had was we've always had this simple rule of just hire the best person for the job. But the the undertone of that was in a market that we had an office. So you yeah. were really shrinking very quickly the talent pool and in Cedar Falls, Des Moines, Chicago, we we never probably have fully tapped that. It's a big market. It's hard to get your name out there to everybody. But yeah, COVID was a very positive thing because we could meet people from Boston or San Francisco or Albuquerque. We've got people all over now, and and I think that has been a great raises the bar from a talent perspective, from a diversity perspective. You're getting people with tremendous backgrounds that are different from you know I'm just an Iowa kid from a small town. That's different than somebody that grew up in Boston or San Fran or whatever. And that's good from a marketing perspective to have those different 
perspectives on how you celebrate things, how you look at things. We need to market to all of those audiences. And so that's been really great for our team to to get access to that talent. Well, I can think even, you know, it's probably it's been probably five, six years ago now. You know, it's not just websites. It's not just, uh, you know, social media ads or whatever. But I remember having that conversation that now uh, mainstream or then mainstream ad agencies were now coming to you because they weren't wanting to deal with newspaper and TV and some of things. So, you know, I bring that up because there were jobs that exist now or even four years ago that didn't exist when you guys started, or even the concept of what it was when you're looking at, uh, as you started to say, interactive marketing or digital marketing, or, you know, do you even have to say digital anymore? We debate that occasionally, but, you know, we do still distinguish the digital marketing occasionally, but you're right. I mean, there are, you know, you can be a designer, you can be a developer, you can be a data scientist, you can manage projects, you can manage relationships, uh, there's testing. So, you know, CAPS, uh, what, you know, they're testing science and math and all this stuff, art, that is all baked into everything we do. So you can have, we have people that are extremely outgoing. We have people that are introverts. We have people that are great at math and ones that aren't. Like we, we kind of touch on a lot of different areas and personalities and skill sets. And so if you love crunching numbers and trying to predict what's going to happen in the future based on past data, man, that's, we've got a spot for that. You love being creative from a design perspective. We've got a team for that social media. Like there's, there's a lot of outlets and you're spot on. I mean, I couldn't have even described probably two thirds of the jobs that we have today when we started in 2000, they just, they were non-existent. Yeah. I just, I pulled up your website and and you guys are always hiring and we're going to get into why people, you know, but I guess why you've been able to grow the way you have and have kept people uh, even deeper, but a pro, uh, programmatic media strategist and a, a marketing automation strategist, you know, that, that that didn't come up, you know, in a search or even what that even was. And you guess probably, like knowing you guys enough, you probably just make up names, just start, start <laughs> throwing words together, just trying to piece how things are. But, you know, when you look at the strategy to grow Spinu Tech and where it is and the people you need to get into. And that's a big thing that that you've been out there on and talking to other podcasts and and want to and push even more. It's the culture that you guys have. And that's something that you guys really started with. And and we talked about it earlier in this episode, but it's something you are very conscious of to maintain to keep the people you have to do the work that needs to get done for the clients you want to have. Yeah. I think, you know, we kind of accidentally built a great culture in the beginning uh, because we we didn't work for the man ever. And we just we always wanted to build a, a workplace that we wanted to work at. And we always said, if we're not having fun here, we're not showing up either. And so it was kind of that simple principle. But we also we've been very cautious about the types of clients we've worked with, too, because we want partnerships. We don't want a vendor relationship. So a cultural alignment on both internal and who we're working with and partnering with from a client perspective is very important. You're going to attract and retain great talent if you have a good culture, good core values, and it's lived, it's not fake, it's not, you know, it's got to be authentic. And so we have put a lot of effort into that. But I've, I've used this example in the past, a manufacturer, their number one asset is oftentimes their tooling equipment, their big pieces of equipment they have out in the shops, right? They spend a lot of money maintaining that. 
and, and keeping it so they can produce and produce and produce. Our number one asset, it's not even close. It's our humans, our human capital. And that that's not meant to demean them at all. They're, they're humans. They're real people. And we invest heavily in those individuals so they can be successful. You'll, you'll note that we say team member as opposed to employee. I think there's a distinct difference between somebody who's a team member and an employee. An employee is somebody who goes to check the box, check the clock. They're not passionate about their job. They don't want to get better every day. They're probably going to be a little bit more about them than our, one of our other core values, we over me. Um, so when you invest in each individual and we have this get better every day mentality, we set aside two hours a week for their self-development to get training, to get certifications, whatever it might be, because our space does change quickly. That's how you you know, foster happy people, um, not just at home, but hopefully at work as well. Again, it's our biggest asset. We want to take care of them and, and we care about work-life balance. And we think that you can do all the work we need to do in 40 hours and anything over that, the quality of that work is probably going to start to suffer. Was there times along the way in the growth that, you know, you, you mentioned you wanted to work at places that you'd want to work? Mm-hmm. Was there some times that maybe you guys lost track of the ball a little bit that you kind of had to stop and think, hold on a minute, we're, we're going down a path we we talked about we never wanted to do just because you guys were maybe working so hard and busy and, and just trying to make things happen that the culture maybe was skewing away you didn't want it to, to go. Do you think of a time of that? You know, I think for uh, the partners that started, you know, in those early years, we probably, and this is still true at times, we've always cared more about the team than ourselves um, in that. And if, if you compare those, so we would maybe be working way more and getting, pushing that burnout line, but we would really not allow that to happen to our teams. I'm not saying it hasn't happened to team members, but we've tried our darndest to not allow that to happen. But for ourselves, we've not always been the best at living some of our own rules and, and right. you know standards that we would expect of the team. So knowing what you know now, you go back to that apartment in Cedar Falls. You know, how did would you change anything of how it started, or, or what's something you wish you knew then that you know now uh, to get something like this going? I think that believing in yourself those early years, there's so much self doubt. Right. Do you deserve to be in this room? Do you deserve to get this project? Whatever it is. And sometimes maybe we didn't. Sometimes maybe we didn't. We lost, but we didn't portray ourselves, you know, with enough confidence or whatever. I mean, we I used to get asked if I was in high school still. That's how young I looked. So, <laughs> you know, I would jokingly say that I was a sophomore at CF High or whatever. And I'd say it was straight face and some people believed it. But, you know, believing in yourself, I would maybe say dream bigger, which I'm a pretty big dreamer, but I don't think we ever dreamed where we're at today. And so, you, you know, why not us? Why not now is a great saying that I love and, and maybe living that sooner. We, we probably held up our own growth at times by, you know, we were the, the, the bottleneck, the, the three partners had, were at times the bottleneck to the growth. And now I always say like, get out of my, like, I need to get out of your way. If I'm, a, if I'm the bottleneck, that's a problem. And I challenge our leaders for that. If you're the bottleneck, that's a problem. You've got to get out of the way sometimes and let the great team do the great work. So, but generally speaking, no, I think, you know, people always, Adam, one of my partners says, yeah, overnight success after 22 years, whatever, however long we've been in business, he says that. <laughs> overnight success after 18 years, after 20 years, because somebody walking into the business or just getting introduced to the business today thinks this is the way it's always been. They don't know that one of the partners, Adam, lived in the basement of our first official office for an extra hundred bucks cash on the side. 
Yeah. You know, that was a sacrifice. Uh, there's tons of stories like that where we, you know, we weren't making, but we didn't pay ourselves for the first couple of years. So somebody seeing the business today is like, this is the way it's always been. Uh, definitely has not always been this way. And, and I think even as a business owner, that's the journey or commitment that people have to make is there's going to be some tough times in between starting almost failure and success. And, and you've got to kind of batten down to ride through all of that. Well, and I guess speak on this and and you've got, you know, a variety of uh, of generations, I guess that would work for you. Some that, that you've, that came in through acquisition and, and mergers and things like that, but you've got a lot of young people um, speak on that of, you know, the, the younger generation get kind of gets a bad rap when it comes into, in, into how they work or what they do, things like that. Speak on that compared to, you know, the Gen Xers and and the Ys or the millennials or whatever you want to call, you know, just when you look at that, talk, talk through that because you have to manage, you know, that type of thing. That's just something that, that caught my interest when you look at your, your staff. Yeah, no, we definitely have a younger team, generally speaking, but I, I'm a pretty positive person, a half glass full mentality. I still think no matter the generation, there's tons of great talent in, in each of those. And you could look at my generation. There was a subset that, you know, annoyed, you know, the workforce when, when we came into it for different reasons. I think as a leader, you have to understand your audience and understand what motivates them and how to get that great work out of them. And, and so that's going to be I've learned as a leader, especially of 165 people. It's important to say what what it is I'm saying it's more important to say what I'm not saying. And then you have to say those things multiple times and oftentimes in different ways so that the whole audience hears it. And that could be because of their age, because of the way that they process things. Somebody, somebody's a high fact finder, somebody's a quick starter. You know, they need to hear it different ways that resonates with them instead of me just going, I said it, why didn't you understand it? And, and so that's a generational thing. It's, it, there's a lot of factors in there, but as a leader, I've learned I have to say it multiple times and in different ways, and not only what I'm saying, but what I'm not saying. And some of those are societal changes in the last couple of years, too. Uh, people will fill in the blanks with very negative things versus the positive things. Right. Um, so that's why it's important to say what it isn't uh, so they don't jump to conclusions. Yeah, you probably got in trouble for being on your BlackBerry too much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Well, Mark, I appreciate you being on. And uh, where can people learn more about the work you're doing and, and, and Spin You Tech and just the the mission that you're on? Yeah. So you can go to spinutech.com, S-P-I-N-U-T-E-C-H.com. There's uh, lots of podcasts that I've been on under the About Us section. I'm also very active on LinkedIn, just my name, Mark Reifenrath, Mark with a C, and I'm assuming you'll have this on on there too. But sure. uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn or connect with me, and I post a lot of other podcasts I'm on as well as uh, just thoughts that I have around culture, core values, and, and growing a great team. Mark, thanks for being on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Again, thank you all for listening and being on this journey. And please subscribe and share this podcast. It's called That's a Job. It's on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The That's a Job podcast presented by Career Adventure Academy and the College and Career Discovery course. Discover the work you are wired to do. Now go live your career adventure. If you haven't done so already, hit subscribe to enjoy future episodes. Build your career adventure at nateclayberg.com. Production assistance provided by Bill Jordan voiceovers. Visit billjordanvo.com. This podcast is a Need 10 Media production.